Hello and welcome to Flora Funga Podcast with your host KK. This week we chat with Nick Money about fungi sex. Nick Money has written many books on fungal growth. I first learned about him while reading Dr. Bloomfield's Orchard, The Mysterious World of Mushrooms, Molds, and Mycologists. I have been saving this interview for the perfect moment and I am glad to finally have him on to educate everybody about the importance and this intricate topic of fungal sex. So some of the topics we cover is what got Nick into writing about funga, why he doesn't approve of the word funga, which is a really fun conversation because he does not like that word, but I use it anyway. Oops. How long has he known about fungal reproduction, the history, why fungal reproduction is important, how is it different from plants, What are the specific steps? How spores are dispersed from animals or other things? Is there a binary with fungal sex? A deep dive into fungal reproduction parts. We actually talk about the dog dick fungus. The stink horn is if anybody knows of that or what it looks like. Um, We kind of talk about that. We also talk about possible research opportunities, how a mushroom could be cooler than the air around it, how can head and shoulders relate to fungi, how fungi help plants during reproduction. We talk about some weird fungal sex facts and his outlooks on humans. Um, He also plugs a couple of his other books, so let's dive on in. Well, hello, Nick Money. (laughs) I love your name. It's very... um very professional and sweet to the point. Um, but thank you for being on Flora Funga podcast today. I think I was reading one of your books. Um, please help me with the whole title. It's the um, Orchard. Um, it's the Bloomfield's Orchard. Thank you. Thank you. The Mysterious World of, of, of Everything. Um, that's not quite the subtitle. <laughs> but I, I, I wrote that book. That was my first book or my first book that was published. And so... Um, yeah, what was that? Two thousand two. So okay, twenty years ago. Yeah, I think I read that last year, and I kind of what I kind of do when I read books is I read them, and then I also do little sticky notes on things that I've learned, and then I take the the sticky notes and I write them in my own little journal. And so for your book, I had a lot of questions and I had a lot of fun comments. And I really liked how you broke down certain topics and did analogies and just made it like a fun, uh, fun thing about fungal reproduction. So kind of give the listeners like who you are, how you got into funga, and maybe about the book a little bit. All right, we're going to have to talk about that word funga, but but not now we can go to that in a minute. F-U-N-G-A, which is, is a term that, uh, um, I don't approve of, but we'll, we'll okay. come back to that. Perfect. But how I got into mycology, the study of fungi. Yes. So I turn 60 years old next month, which is astonishing for anybody seeing this. Obviously, I look like a gentleman in the first first flush of youth. But <laughs> when I was in the first flush of youth, I got interested in fungi because I was fortunate enough as a result of essentially of affirmative action. I went to college in in, in England at the University of Bristol. One of the first lectures that I attended in biology was given by a mycologist, a man called Mike Madeline. And I fell in love with him and I fell in love with the subject right then. I was only 18 years old. Oh, wow. So um, now, 40 years later, um, I still find the fungi interesting. 
Mm-hmm. Or at least a little interesting. I mean, there's a lot more to life than the fungi, but I've certainly spent a good deal of my existence thinking about fungi, researching fungi, and writing about them. Mm. So it's it's um yeah, an interesting journey. Or yeah. I found it interesting anyway, and I yeah. still do. Awesome. So so what got you into writing your own books and um kind of where you are now so probably at at the age of when i well started writing 20 years ago so at that point an overarching and um unreasonable ego and a sense that my view of biology was the only correct view of biology and that i had to get Mm. get the word out and uh (laughs) convince everybody else that, that that what they thought about life the universe and everything was wrong and that that I was the one that had the bead on on things. So, you <laughs> know, like tr- tr- tremendous and misplaced um, narcissism. That's mm. the, that's the correct answer, which okay. indeed is the reason that most people write books, right. In the end, like the, the, the incredible hubris that, that uh, people extend to, to, to their readers or, mm. or, or uh, lack thereof, you know, the mm-hmm. idea that I, I, my view of things is so important, but it is it's mm. this desperate sense for meaning in a, in a meaningless universe. Oh, but, man. Yeah. All right. All right. I like that. Um, so do we know how long we've kind of known the concept of how fungi reproduce? Or is that... Yeah, so interesting. I mean, if you so, I mean, f- people have been well since since we have since there's been different written forms of language. Mm-hmm. Well, since we can certainly go back into antiquity, and we we can see that the 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 Greeks and Romans were writing about fungi, but they had no real concept of what fungi were and how they reproduced. Mm-hmm. And so that understanding has come much more recently. And you get a sense that um, with the invention of the microscope in the 17th century, um, people are beginning to get, or those early investigators were beginning to get ideas about, better ideas about fungi and what Mm. they were. And then the first sensible work about the, the reproduction of fungi was published in the early 18th century, so the 1700s, because until that point, the the idea was, or the prevailing idea was an Aristotelian idea, or the Aristotelian idea of spontaneous generation, although he didn't um, invent that. So so that that idea that, that these simple forms of life were born from from, from, from nothingness, those prevailed for a long time. And then you have these, these brilliant um, investigators like uh, the Florentine uh, genius, Anton Michele, who was writing in the 1720s. And he, was, he, was, he had a pretty good idea about how fungi might reproduce from, these, um, f- from spores. And there were other authors that were writing. So, so that, yeah, since, since the 18th century, we've, we, we've had an idea that Fungi produce seed-like structures okay. that are involved in reproduction, although they're microscopic, which work, which is why we had to wait for the invention of the microscope. Right. I guess uh, that would make sense that you don't really know what's happening on a microscopic level until you have the microscope. <laughs> yeah, I mean, w- without the microscope, we'd be we'd be still 
steeped in ignorance. I mean, mm. we'd still be, we haven't, wouldn't have advanced from the, the, the silliness of, of Aristotle with, with all due respect to, you know, one of the greatest philosophers that ever lived, but <laughs> <laughs> nevertheless. I like your opinion on uh, all these uh, history people. Well, I mean, the, the thing is with Aristotle is that the, the, there was only wrong one thing that was wrong with Aristotle, and that's sort of all of his observations were completely baseless. But um, <laughs> again, there will be a few people that will, will disagree with that. But I mean, he didn't. He thought that we could understand life by looking at it; that we could mm. trust our senses. And oh, yeah. the thing is, the microscope, you know, showed us no. I mean, we we we'd missed the the most important part of life, which is is which is invisible to us without magnification but mm -hmm. yeah Seeing yeah that's, that's the, the subject of another podcast or indeed a, a forthcoming <laughs> series on uh, public television <laughs> the, the, the world according to um the over caffeinated <laughs> professor <laughs> yes that has to be an idea definitely um so explain like why fungal reproduction is important um kind of just what is it and how does it differ from plants? Um, it, it differs from plants in, in, in lots of ways, in, in most ways, um, in that fungi don't produce flowers. Of course, mm -hmm. not all flowers, not all plants produce, produce flowers and some plants, obviously, um, um, ferns and so forth produce spores. Boy, mm -hmm. that's, that's a, that's a, an inelegant way of explaining all of all of botany, but, but fungi fungi reproduce using microscopic spores. Those are um, dispersed by air. Some of them are dispersed by insects and other invertebrates, and some of them are dispersed by um, mammals and other other larger anim animals. Mm. Um, so yeah, f fungal reproduction is is based upon these microscopic structures called uh, spores so if you think about a mushroom mm -hmm. here we go big mushroom behind me here perfect that that's producing vast numbers of spores tens of thousands of spores every second in fact and they're wow. that they they are dispersed from the the underside of the mushroom and then they're they're um wafted away on 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 air currents and mm. when those spores find themselves on uh what a, a propitious site so they land on soil where they can and, and there's moisture mm -hmm. they can germinate and then they generate these colonies of filamentous cells and we call those colonies mycelia and then in the case of fungi that reproduce sexually two strains of different mating types to, to mycelia two colonies of different mm -hmm. mating type which we could refer to as as different sexes or different genders then they come together and merge in the soil. This is sort of the simplest example of a fungal life cycle. Mm -hmm. And then after they have actually merged in that way, then there's the potential for that, that, that fused colony to form a, a fruit body like a mushroom and disperse spores. So that's a, um, that's a simple version of a, of a fungal life cycle that mm -hmm. applies to, a, to one of the mushroom forming, forming fungi. Okay. But I've forgotten what your question was. How do fungi reproduce? Or... Yeah, yeah, kind of the steps and why it's important. 
Well, I mean, it's important because without fungal reproduction, there wouldn't be any any fungi around. Without reproduction of one form or another, there wouldn't be any biology now. Um, mm. So it's just the, the, the way that fungi um, manage to propagate their genes down the great stream of time the instruction right. for making the instructions for making more fungi so that's why why it's important right it means it's 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 interesting for a lot a lot more reasons than it's what it, it, it's raw importance in terms of information transfer it's it's interesting to me at least and, and to plenty of people in in biomechanical terms because the mechanisms that fungi use in their reproductive cycles mm-hmm. are really, really fascinating. And there's really nothing like them in the plant world. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually going to see if you knew how the spores were actually dispersed. So what triggers it? it does it have to have like a specific temperature, moisture? Um, how does I mean, that kind of work? Yeah. I mean, there's a whole um, encyclopedia circus of different ways that fungi actually get their spores away from the parent. Mm-hmm. And so when I, when I ran a research lab, which I actually don't now, I, I, I graduated my last graduate student in what, 2016. Okay. And so since then sort of research wise, I'm now an armchair biologist. I write about it rather than, than, than do it anymore. But okay. um, where was I? Um, this uh, wasn't about my autobiography. Oh yeah. But in the lab, I actually point. studied that. That's one of the things that I, I, I invested many, many years in was actually actually looking at these mechanisms of spore discharge, the way that they're actually launched from surfaces and then dispersal we think of as this passage over long, longer distances. And so mm. there are lots and lots of different mechanisms. Um, well, I mean, I, I'll, I'll just, I mean, I'll mention one, one mechanism. So there's a cool. fantastically um, beautiful fungus called the artillery fungus you have to use a use a magnifying loop, a hand lens, to actually see it properly because it's only a millimeter or two in in diameter. But what this thing does is called the artillery fungus because it actually shoots this fungal fungal cannonball. It's mm. it's a it's a it's a ball about the size of a ooh, size of a what? I can't think. Very small millimeter in diameter, a pinhead. But it okay. shoots this this black ball through the air over a distance of many meters. And if your hearing's good, you can actually hear this in the terms of sort of a pinging sound as this thing is flicked into the air. Um, There's nothing like that in, there's nothing fundamentally like that among the plants, although plants have got fascinating mechanisms of uh, of movement too. Um, But it it uses a flexible membrane. It's it's a membrane that's held under under tension inside, inside a cup. And then it, this thing actually flips outward and then flings this, this structure, this millimeter-sized capsule in, into the air. It's, it's fantastic. Wow. But mushrooms use pressure-driven squirt guns. They, they use um, oh, they use explosive mechanisms, too, of, um, of gas bubbles that actually uh, uh, explode, expand inside their cells and flip the spores wow. into the air, flick the spores into the air movements of water droplets, all these different mechanisms mm-hmm. that have evolved among the fungi because, because why? Because when you're microscopic, it's pretty difficult to get away from a surface. Yeah. Yeah. Like I guess I surface, would imagine. I, I bet. Yeah. And, and that's what's required for dispersal. If you're going to make use of um, wind to, to, to um, 
move over large distances, big distances, long distances. Right. Yeah, you need to get off the surface first of all. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. there's some water ones, some wind ones. So you were mentioning animals. Um, how would animals carry spores or disperse? Well, I mean, the, the, the some of the classic examples or in, involve the um, truffles, and uh, and uh, so truffles have evolved um, to to attract animals, things mm-hmm. like rodents and humans. Mm, so um, advanced, advanced rodent, rodents like humans, and so we'll eat truffles, <laughs> and then the, the 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 truffle tissue will pass through the digestive system, and then obviously be dispersed as we go about our as as we move mm. um as animals move but and there's there's lots and lots of of fungi that form truffles or truffle like structures and that are dispersed by animals okay um so yeah yeah and is there kind of like plants where there the seeds on plants sometimes have like a hard casing and you need to go through a digestion di- digested system to scrape off um part of that is that something that happens with spores yeah a- absolutely and that's that's actually that's, that's a great question it's what makes some of these fungi quite difficult to work with in the lab because mm. you know we can we can maybe generate there or we can isolate the spores but but unless they've gone through this this partial digestion as they pass through the digestive system of, of the vector of the animal, um, they won't germinate. And okay. it's really difficult to get yeah. the spores of a lot of fungi to, to germinate in the lab. And it, this probably relates or may relate to, to the sort of a missing part of their life cycle that we don't understand where they need to go mm. through the gut of an animal of some kind. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Certain stage. Okay. Okay. Um, and then, so we kind of talked about like the perfect way of reproduction out in nature wild. So how would you do that in the lab? What are you doing to kind of re- reproduce certain strains that you want or how does it differ from yeah, the lab? I mean, so th- there are some, there are some fungi that behave really well in the lab, right? Mm-hmm. So you, you, there are, there are some fungi that form mushrooms that you can just, you can germinate the spores readily on a, on a culture dish mm-hmm. in a culture dish and they'll go ahead and actually produce their fruit bodies, their mushrooms. Um, once they've gathered enough nutrients, generated enough biomass in culture to produce a fruit body, but others are more problematic. Um, in some cases, in some of the work that, that we did in the lab, for example, we were looking at fungi that um, produce their, their their fruit bodies on on animal dung herbivore dung so on horse and cattle dung from horses and cattle and so forth and so actually in the lab there there are all kinds of ways of growing those fungi in the lab um and you you can you can play with the mixture of nutrients in in the medium but quite honestly well quite honestly what we did in the lab for some of those that we we just brought animal dung into the lab and and actually used that to to cultivate these okay. these fungi and that that was uh, um an off-putting experience sometimes i mean sort of trying to to sterilize animal dung in large quantities of right it's a fairly yeah. fairly fragrant uh, <laughs> fairly oh, no. material so yeah yeah but you got what you did out what you had to do yeah we used to boil we used to i remember that we'd go to the local um horse stables and uh, one of the local horse stables and collect 
horse dung and bring it back and then boil it in these flasks in the lab. You know, this isn't very, doesn't sound scientific, but um, and these the flask once in a while you walk away to get a cup of coffee or something, the flask would boil over and it would just be a, Oh no. <laughs> fairly, fairly unpleasant uh, oh. uh, situation. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So you're, you you kind of had your own, um, I guess, set up where you could go somewhere and get, get this dung from places and people would provide for the lab. Yeah. I mean, they, they, you, I mean, I've got quite a lot of experience with that actually, unfortunately, and collecting dung from, from farms too, you know, and they, um, I, I live in southwestern Ohio, and I, I've still got this uh, British accent. So going to a farm and asking farmers if you could could collect their animal dung, yeah, there's a few uh, <laughs> raised eyebrows. Let's put put it that way. Yeah, a little nothing Midwest. Ventured, nothing, nothing ventured, nothing gained. But yeah, if you if you take the time to actually explain what you're doing, that at yeah. least pretend that they they they're interested in your activities. You yeah, not the Midwest accent that they're used to, for sure. <laughs> I'm afraid, afraid not, no. Oh, that's pretty good, though. Um, so we were talking about the different um, pairs. Um, like in plants, you have a sperm and an egg. What is the type of pairs? What is like the combination? Is it only binary or how does that kind of work? Yeah, un- unfortunately, um I mean, I think many members of the Republican Party, Republican legislators should listen to this part of the, the podcast. But I mean, the fungi don't really have much time for any any silliness about, about um, gender binaries. But I, I mean, that. there are individual mushroom forming fungi that, that have tens of thousands of different kind, different mating types. Okay. So and, and, and for, for reproduction to occur, then to produce a mushroom, you have to have compatible strains that will will merge, but you've got tens of thousands of different opportunities and oh, most wow. of them w- w- will actually couple. Okay. And there are really good evolutionary reasons for this that are really, that, that I find very interesting. But um, yeah, the, the idea of a binary or, a, you know, plus minus male, female simply doesn't apply to, mm-hmm. to the ma- majority of the fungi. And, um, and why, why is that? Just because, well, they, sorry, uh, just because, mm, they might need so much reproduction to happen or is well, it they just- need, that's a, that's a good question and and so the the prevailing view of this is is as follows that if if you're a if you're a mushroom here we go is a mushroom mycelia of different mating types in the mm-hmm. in the soil but they're growing really really slowly that they're, they're growing perhaps fractions of a millimeter per day okay in 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 a in a in a grassland or in a forest the opportunity for meeting another mycelium of the same species is kind of limited. And mm-hmm. um, when it happens, you better, better make, you better maximize your chances of, of, of being, being able to mate and, mm-hmm. and produce offspring. If you work with a binary, half of the other mycelia colonies that you meet in the soil are going to be, no, we're not going to be mm-hmm. able to proceed here. But if you've got tens of thousands out there, so if you've had this, this, this multiplication of mate, mating types, any other mycelium that you meet is, is one with which one is likely to, to be able to, to mate, that you're going to be, be um, uh, uh, compatible. And so in, so in fact, the way that a lot of these mushrooms work is the only kind of, kind of mating type that you, you can't reproduce with, you can't have sex with, is going to be a few, one that comes from the same mushroom. 
right? Oh, okay. So, you know, good reasons for not actually crossing with, 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 with your siblings. Yes. But with all of these different mating types out there, yeah, yeah it's going to work. It's going to work most mm-hmm. of the time. So that, that seems to be, it's a good explanation for why there's been this, this increase in the number of, of mating types or, okay. or, or genders. Hmm. Yeah. So, so then how is that with plants? I feel like plants would want to mate more often, but they can only do their certain families or. Well, I mean, ch- plant plants cheat, right? So that they'll, they'll use insects for pollination from one flower to another. And so, so that they don't have this, that they're not hobbled by the fact that they're growing really slow. I mean, that, that's the thing with the fungi, not all of them, but most of them, many of them, the colonies actually have to physically touch mm-hmm. in the soil or in plant tissue, wherever they're actually, actually growing. Now there are examples of fungi that actually use a system that's a bit more like, like plant pollination. So the okay. rust fungi, some of the rust fungi um, are a good example of that, but. Okay. Yeah. And can you explain how that one's different? Rust fungi? Yeah. No, it's it's far too complicated, or <laughs> I've forgotten. Okay. There are, so in, in the in these the rust life cycle is actually is a very very complicated life cycle with lots of stages, but there are cereal rusts, then there are there are other rusts. Um, so rusts that infect crop plants, and um, they'll actually go through a sexual sexual stage where where insects actually suck up the spores from oh. one one location on an infected plant leaf mm. and they'll actually then they'll then they're going going to another plant leaf and so you get it's it's, it's really a lot wow. like pollination in that case okay. so the, the the stem rusts of wheat are, are like this but actually they're doing this reproductive thing on a completely different plant mm. which is the barberry so these this is a single fungus a single fungal pathogen that grows on two different hosts it's wow. it's, it's so it is very very complicated okay and they kind of yep. use more of the insects to do that part absolutely absolutely okay. they, they they've got well they got multiple spore producing stages too they're they're okay. they, they really don't be, don't behave very well they're they're they're, <laughs> they're too complicated they, they evolve for the for the singular purpose of making it difficult for students of plant pathology to <laughs> pass pass their ex- exams i think <laughs> Yes. Yes. That's their one goal. <laughs> um, so can you explain some of the, like the reproductive parts on, on fungus? Well, it depends what, t- okay. So the, the, in, in terms of the mycelium mm-hmm. in the colonies, which, which are the structures that w- where, so let's talk about, about the, our friend, the, the mushroom. Yes. So the mycelium, then these, these are filamentous. I keep doing this. They're thin filaments. They're microscopic filaments that that extend at their tips, mm-hmm. and they branch. And then, actually, in, indeed, compatible mating types will will merge, and they'll actually merge their cytoplasm. But the fertilization won't occur. Actually, mm-hmm. that doesn't occur until later. So the, the you've got nuclei within these colonies mm-hmm. that coexist where after after the the colonies have merged. And actually, the fertilization event, or or in in, in terms of the, uh, the 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 fusion of the nuclei, that actually occurs on the gills of the mushroom. So it's delayed until the fruit body is formed, okay. and then the 
the, the compatible nuclei merge mm. and then in, like in a plant life cycle or an animal life cycle, that, that zygote, that zygotic nucleus then will undergo meiosis and produce four uh, haploid nuclei. I'm having to remember this myself. So that's actually occurring. So in terms of the reproductive tissues, mm-hmm. we can look at the gills of a mushroom as the place where this, this nuclear fusion is sort of the equivalent okay. of, of animal, you know, sperm and egg mm-hmm. um, fertilization occurs on the gills. Okay. So those are, those are the tissues. Yeah. It kind of reminds yeah. me of like the liverwort um, situation where it, it goes underneath the leaf and then the spores are there kind of reminds me of what like a mushroom kind of looks like microscopically or yeah so on 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 liverwort reproduction right you've got um you've got um antheridia that release sperm Mm -hmm. cells and archegonia that i mean that's a lot more like 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 a human life cycle than a than a fungal one but okay some similarities and of course liverworts produce airborne spores too so yeah okay and so in, in the book that I was reading, you're talking about the chemicals in the jelly. Um, and I'm guessing this jelly was the cytoplasm or something connecting the fungus. Um, I'm actually you- not sure what, what you're, if, if it's the Mr. Bloomfield's Orchard book, then mm-hmm. yep. um, I, I talked about stink horns, that are these fungi that produce very sort of smelly yeah. slime on there their tips is that what you're yeah yeah let's let's talk about that specifically yeah i mean they're they're so that they're actually a great example of insect dispersed fungi so they're 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 mushroom forming fungi it's just that the the structure that's formed has this 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 penis-like shape Mm -hmm. um and the 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 tip of that structure then in the case of um phallic mushrooms then they have this black spore slime okay dark brownish spore slime that, that is produced on the, the tip. Mm-hmm. And that slime, so the way that these, that the, there's actually sort of evolutionary convergence that's occurred here between the way, I mean, there are some flowering plants that attract carrion flies, for example. And so rather than using primarily visual cues, they, they release these, these volatile smelly substances that attract flies that might otherwise be attracted to mm-hmm rotting corpses in 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 the forest and so that's sort of what the stink horn does and it produces i mean we don't know the 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 the, um it produces a whole cocktail of different volatile substances then that that do indeed attract um invertebrates and then when the invertebrates blow flies other kinds of flies slugs and snails in, in, indeed too, that they'll actually eat the, the slime and they get a nutritional reward from that. Mm. I mean, they're not doing this for, um, for any other reason, but then they will disperse the, the spores through their, through their feces. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think in the book you had different pictures of different types of stink horns. Um, yeah. Just like yeah, that's morphologically. Right. Um, so why does that, why is that important that there's different types um, to disperse? Yeah, it, it, that, that's that's a that's an interesting question because we don't really know about much about the adaptive significance of those different shapes. So there are close relatives, or there are relatives of the stink horn that that rather than producing this single you know upright fruit body, they'll actually produce a kind of cage, and mm. the, there's this, the smelly stuff is smeared over the bars of the cage, and then 
So why they have evolved in this fashion, what the adaptive significance of those different shapes is, we don't really know, but these mm. presumably relate to really specific relationships between certain kinds of invertebrates. But we, the, the, the reason for this, the, again, the adaptive significance is really poorly understood. Mm. Okay. Um, but there's lots of different ways of just exposing I mean, it, it could be just part of the noise of evolution. It's just this, all of these different forms work well at, at, at providing a large surface area for um, allowing these volatile mm. compounds to um, move, move through the air, for, to, okay. to evaporate, to evaporate. That, yeah, that makes sense. Like more surface area to volume ratio to Yeah, I mean, actually, so there you got to be an interesting project, actually, to look at these different structures and look at the total surface area over which the spore slime is, mm. is spread. So if you've got an upright phallic mushroom and you've, yeah. you've just got the, 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 um, the, the slime in one position, whereas with a cage, it's spread over a larger surface. Yeah. Maybe there's some interesting modeling that you could, mm -hmm. uh, a student could engage in there. That might be quite interesting. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. And also in your book, you're, uh, fascinated and explaining about how a mushroom can be cooler than the air around it. Um, yeah. So, so that can was, you explain what you meant by that? Yeah. I, I'm still surprised that I, have, I haven't won an award or my lab didn't win an award <laughs> for that. That was just a really, it was an idea. Um, when I, when I started my university career, um, so back in the 1990s, I wanted to come up with a list of different projects that that sort of not the big projects that um, might get, you know, attract federal funding. I wanted to have some just interesting projects that yeah. I could pursue with undergraduate students just because mm -hmm. they'd be interesting and the students would get some field experience. Yeah. So one thing we, we did was um, we actually started measuring the the temperature of the the gills and uh, the, the the tubes underneath mushroom caps using little thermocouples, because I'd noticed that out in the woods, when you when you think about a summer's day in the Midwest or anywhere else, and, <laughs> and and if you touch a big mushroom or you put the back of your hand on that that the cap of the mushroom, mm -hmm. it feels quite cold to the touch, and that's not just because or it didn't seem to me it was just because there was. Um, fluid on the surface, water on the surface of the mushroom, and you, you get this evaporative cooling. Mm -hmm. There seemed to be something else going on there. So, and indeed there is. So mushrooms, water evaporates from the surface of, of mushrooms and from the gills of mushrooms and other tissues. And that actually promotes or causes evaporative cooling of those tissues. And so we measured the, those temperature gradients, temperature differences, out in the woods, it was really just a great project for students. Mm. We could get out in the woods and we studied lots and lots of different um, species of mushrooms. And um, the significance of that, in, in, in my opinion, mm -hmm. is, and the evidence for this comes from, um, I mean, we can model this, but it's not, not proven, but the, the, the mechanism of spore discharge that mushrooms use then is based upon the condensation of water on the spore surface, these, these little droplets of water that form. And so any cooling of those tissues will promote the condensation of water. Okay. And so I got to, I, I wonder, I hypothesized that maybe this cooling process 
might actually stimulate the formation of these water droplets and actually stimulate spore dispersal. So it's 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 still an hypothesis. The cooling is real, yeah. but the significance of this this is not. But then you can go a bit further and think about well, the the fact that mushrooms that disperse their spores in this this fashion that they're they're not they're not well waterproof they actually they lose water and that that, that might be seen as a as a liability associated with that it limits the lifetime of the the, the fruit body but yeah and if, then if that's compensated by stimulating spore discharge may, may, maybe that's the uh, the solution that's that's developed through natural mm-hmm. selection so yeah, I, I still like that idea. There have been there's been other work on um, evaporative uh, evaporation of water from mushrooms and mm-hmm. potential significance. But yeah, we that was an interesting idea. We looked also looked at early did early experiments with I, I did early experiments with with the students back then. We put mushrooms in wind tunnels and, and looked at the way that air passes over the oh. caps of mushrooms, and that was interesting too. Okay in terms of the significance of this this umbrella shape yeah the, the primary significance of the umbrella is is that it's an umbrella it actually protects the spore producing tissues underneath the cap so okay it, it has that mm, interesting that's an interesting uh project as well and so can you relate the um the cooling to the head and shoulders um product or you're mentioning that in the book that's a stretch (laughs) i love that i I can let me think if i can do that yeah (laughs) i i forget what you were uh really referencing but well i mean in the in in that book so i've written you know a dozen books over the over the years but that in that first book i was actually at that time um i was collaborating with some scientists at, at procter and gamble um procter and gamble is Oh, one of the biggest employers in. So I live close to Cincinnati, and Cincinnati is, is the um, home base um, of uh, Procter and Gamble. Their headquarters is in Cincinnati. So I did some collaborative, collaborative, collaborative work with scientists there. At that time, um, Head and Shoulders is one of their best-selling products. Head and Shoulders is is an anti-dandruff shampoo, mm-hmm. and. One of the ways, the principal way in which it works is by reducing the growth of, of fungi mm-hmm. on the scalp because the human scalp is a teeming haven of biological diversity, <laughs> uh, even if we wash our hair. Lots of microorganisms that live up there, and the fungi love it up there. They're, they're, mm-hmm. they're, they're never happier than growing on the human's human scalp. Um, and so there's actually, it's very, very distantly related to mushrooms. So trying to relate mushrooms to uh, head and shoulders. Mm-hmm. There's a, there's a, there are ingredients in, in anti-dandruff shampoo that, um, as against anti-dandruff shampoo, shampoos that promote dandruff. I shouldn't, that's a good product line, is it? <laughs> but, but dandruff shampoos that limit the, the um severity of of dandruff outbreaks um they contain a compound that that, that actually controls the the growth of these these fungi mm. they're actually so they're they're what we call their their base cityomycete fungi so they're in the same 
we, we we'd regard the base city of Mycota mm-hmm. as a as a as a what as a phylum yes. of, of fungi. And uh, so they're in that same larger group. They're actually more closely related to a thing that we call corn smut than the things that form mushrooms. Mm. But yeah, they're fascinating, fascinating organisms, really. Um, the, the ones that live on the scalp, I mean, in, the, in their own right. I mean, they, they feed on the sebum. So the, 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 some of the, the, the waxy material lipids on, on the scalp, that's mm-hmm. their, one of their main food sources probably is their main food source. They're very difficult to grow in culture. Mm-hmm. Um, because they'd rather be they'd rather be up on the scalp. I mean, that's what we always try and do in the in 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 a research setting is yeah is mimic the conditions that the fungus or another microorganism experiences in nature, so we can get them to grow in 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 the lab. Yeah. Do you think that's like one of the biggest obstacles with um, reproduction in a lab is kind of mimicking what they prefer? Um. Well, that's so. For many fungi, we we have such a poor understanding of their life cycle, so we can. So, an, a good example of that would be that we can look now with with genetics and certainly at the genomic level, we can look. We, we can determine quite a lot about the the behavior of the fungus in terms of its whether it has possesses mating type genes, for example. And there's other signatures that we find in organisms that do reproduce sexually that are lost over time in organisms that are asexual, so that have lost that sexual behavior in in nature. But even if we find those mating type genes, it's often very difficult to to get them to actually reproduce Mm. in in the lab. We're we're missing something. Perhaps we're not pairing them with with, with the the appropriate strain. But indeed, there are many ways in which we, when we take fungi out of their natural environment and mm-hmm. grow them in the lab, they're losing something, right? Mm-hmm. And th- th- they're not behaving like they they would uh, in nature. This is it's really interesting, actually, in the study of so human pathogens, fungi that that infect human tissues. This is pretty interesting about trying to figure out really what they're up to in nature when they're not growing on the human body what's this other sort of cryptic part of their life cycle right um so that's that's really interesting and so that's really sort of rather than the study of medical mycology that's sort of really the study of fungal ecology mm-hmm. and there's, there's not enough of that kind of basic research on on fungi yeah we kind of mm. want to know how it relates to us instead of just kind of how they are on their on their own yeah, absolutely, absolutely, and mm-hmm. but but that missing piece of information could be really important in terms of actually understanding our exposure to these these organisms. How is it that they do indeed reach the human body and and then colonize our tissues? Those those ecological questions are really really interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I hope more people are looking into that then. Uh, how are fungal enzymes? Uh, useful in protecting plants um, from infection. I think I was reading, jotting this, one of my questions from the book that I was reading. Yeah. Um, so, the, so fungi, many fungi 
are, are form relationships, mutualistic symbioses with with plants, mm-hmm. and so examples include. Um, so there are different kinds of mycorrhizal fungi that interact with the roots of most plants, in fact. And it's a mutually supportive relationship. It's it's a mutualism. Mm-hmm. Um, the fungus is supplying the plant with materials that it gathers from uh, the environment. Water um, is one of those things that it <laughs> acquires from the environment. It's like an accessory <laughs> root system, but also dissolve minerals and then can supply those to the plant. The plant then in return provides the fungus or the fungus steals nutrients from the plant, um, sugars that the, that the plant's producing through photosynthesis, mm-hmm. sometimes short chain fatty acids. And so it's this, this, this to and fro. This, this supports plants um, health in a number of number of ways. I mean, one thing is that in a in a through these mycorrhizal relationship, the plant is buffered against drought stress, or can be. Mm-hmm. So drought stress actually makes the fun the, the the plant more vulnerable to infection in in many cases. And so that's sort of a, that's one way in which the, a fungal relationship really protects plants. Um, fungi are also also produce. Um, compounds that actually um, uh, protect plants against infection. Um, but rather than talking about mycorrhizal fungi, there's another kind of relationship that's between plants and fungi that's interesting. And we refer to those as um, these fungi as endophytes. These are, these are fungi that live within mm. plants. And those fungi produce toxins that act as antifedants. So okay. it's less likely that or they will they will indeed act in a you know a repulsive fashion repellent fashion towards animals that might otherwise feed on those those plants so mm. that's another way in which fungi protect protect plants so it's a, there's lots and lots of examples of these mutually okay supportive relationships yeah hmm do you have a weird fact about fungal sex a weird fact about fungal sex as if having 30,000 different genders isn't enough. I that mean, is that, pretty I weird. Think that, I think that's, that's, that's pretty good. That is a good Boy, one. Um, <laughs> a weird fact about fungal, fungal sex. Wow. I can't think of anything better than that, actually. That is a good one. Uh, that is a good one. A lot one. of partners. Well, you may think about that, right? I mean, that, that, that's right. That, uh, that yeah, I don't I have to watch what I say, otherwise I'll be cancelled here. But yeah, I mean, it, it, having that number of possibilities mm-hmm. in, in 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 terms of one's sexual partners is is um, makes a lot of sense biologically. Mm-hmm. No, but, I like that. Um, but but again, the, I think there will be members of the um, um, some of the religious communities in this country that won't see that as an advantage, <laughs> and will indeed. <laughs> be very very upset by this but i think i need to go to capitol hill and, and, and talk to a you know a republican caucus about um fungal reproduction and put them right that, that you know the rest of nature that that yes we need to educate a little, a little bit more liberal than the than the the, the pure um biblically yes. stipulated binary I couldn't say that again. Biblically stipulated binary. That is a mouthful. I beg your Mm. pardon? 
That is a mouthful. There you go. So there you go. That's an interesting, I mean, we're I back like that. to that essential fact. Mm-hmm. I'll think of something really, uh, really interesting, but, but perhaps not uh, mentionable through a, a podcast later i'll send you an email perfect perfect we'll keep in touch then you can yeah then you can share it online all right very okay. good yes and uh so what does a typical day look like for you well of course i live a, a celebrity and gangster lifestyle <laughs> most fungal biologists do so yes of course perfect. i don't i don't rise until noon <laughs> Well, rise, until, rise until sundown, not Nosferatu, right? <laughs> Actually, my, my life is, is is much more sober than that. Um, okay. that. That I get up every morning before 5 a.m. And the reason for that is that my, my lady wife is a, a university administrator. She works in Cincinnati. And so since she's had this position, um, we get up really early. She's mm-hmm. unfortunately got a long commute. For me, this means, though, that, that since we're getting up before five every day, and we've been doing this for, for a long time, mm-hmm. it gives me time to write mm-hmm. long before I actually have to show up on my university campus. We work at different institutions. And so okay. this has worked really well for me over the years. So, so I'll actually usually, um, and I've got lots of, always lots of writing projects in, in progress. And so I'll get up and write for two or three hours and um then if if um, the body is willing, I'll I'll go for a go for a trot, uh, a, a decreasing pace over the years in in the local woodland. <laughs> we got a really nice patch of old growth wood, growth woodland. Oh, lovely! Near where I live, and I, I've been going running through the woods there most you know more days than not for 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 twenty years. It's the best part about it is I never see any any other human beings. Mm, that is a good um, part. Present company accepted i i'm not not a big fan of our species so that's a, a good way to start the day by not interacting with other people <laughs> have you yeah, a long not, time yeah i don't well, i'm trying to i see raccoons and uh um uh, uh deer not very exciting is it sometimes i'll see a bald eagle that's pretty cool or a or a or an owl and, okay uh, yeah it, it, it feeds um, the uh last remnants of my soul <laughs> oh I, I love your humor it's fun thank you humor um, or you know humor or desperation one or the other but who, who cares right i'm here for both did i mention i'm turning 60 next month that is terrifying yeah but you don't look at, not a day over 40 Th- thank you there you go thank you i need to use that smoothing <laughs> function on, on zoom right you can <laughs> the anti-jowl control. But I had, I, I had, a, um, I, I had two grandmothers. They were both wonderful. Um, uh, um, anyway, what about them? That one of them told me when I was a little boy that she said, "You're, you're." She was really old, and she said, "You'll be amazed how fast it goes." And you mm. know, when you're little, life passes so slowly. You sort of want, you know, years. So anyway, there's interesting mm-hmm. explanations for that in terms of human cognition, but. But I mean, yeah, absolutely. It's 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 astonishing how 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 fast time time flies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that is that is a whole thing. I have um, no idea what I was talking about. We, we were talking about what your typical day looks like. Oh, that, that's um, right. And then then I'll and I I so I still um, teach at my university. I work for Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, state institution, oh. and um, you know I love my students and. Uh, 
uh, despise most of my colleagues, but the students still, I, I've, um, yeah, I, I, I still just really enjoy mm. conversations with, 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 with younger people. Mm-hmm. And what uh, courses are you teaching then currently? So I actually run a, run a, a, a program that's called the individualized studies program now. So I'm partly an administrator and I, I work with students that study mo- many different subjects and bring those together oh. into um, a senior project on, on all kinds of different topics. Mm, um, okay. And, so, and I, I, I love this because the students, again, they can, some of the students are creative writers. Some of them are biologists and, uh, they, I mean, I've got I got a student that, that's looking at um, animal behavior at the moment. That's really in- interesting project. Another one that she wants to become a, a an attorney specializing in space law when she graduates, which oh. I didn't know was a thing, but it's really an interesting field of yeah of um, in in the legal profession. So I, I really love that, hmm. and I, I think too just talking with students because the planet has changed so much um, since I was their age Mm -hmm. and talking to them or listening to them about the way that they confront the mess that we've made of, of planet earth is I find that really, really interesting. Yeah. I don't know the degree to which I can, can help them with this struggle. I mean, we're all in it together, but Mm -hmm. you know, they're they're, they're just starting out on their, their, their careers and um, yeah. Okay. Okay. Interesting conversations. Yeah. So if you had unlimited resources, what research would you want to look into? Oh, that's a, that's a good question. So, so given that the planet's doomed and there's no research that we could, could pursue to try and, and uh, for, forestall the collapse of civilization, mm-hmm. that's the first point. I'm, I'm, one thing that really interests me still research-wise is, is sort of the why of, 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 of this thing. There's so much that we don't understand about mushroom biology and mushroom evolution. I mean, one thing that I've been corresponding with some other mycologists, other fungal biologists uh, about recently is mushroom coloration. We we know why we have a good handle on why flowers have different colors. Right, right. Not necessarily colors that we see, but that attract pollinators. Makes sense. Understanding why fungi, why why mushrooms come in lots of different colors is mm. really, really interesting. And that requires a combination of, of research approaches all the way from sort of molecular phylogenetic studies True. that can tell us about the evolution of fungi. So that's a very vibrant area of right. research, but also some functional studies too on the way that and actually field work, even looking at the way that different kinds of mushrooms interact with other, um, yeah. other, other organisms, other uh, animals. Yeah. Things. I never thought of that. Why are they? The we different don't know the answer yeah. to that. Wow. It turns out that there's a list of questions like that about the biology of the fungi that, that most, most mycologists don't really entertain. Mm. That's partly because, academics and there aren't that many academic mycologists but it's very difficult to get funding and you have to have a uh, you have to propose work that has some often it's good approach to 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 saying that this is going to benefit humanity in some direct way and so 
questions about you know why mushrooms are colorful it's probably right, not it's not that funded. much attention from the national institutes of health but okay hmm. so, uh, yeah if, if there's a donor out there that would like to yeah you know send me a, i'm I'm, a, I'm available through paypal and, uh, <laughs> yeah send it this way I, uh, I promise you i'll use the money ethically <laughs> yes approved <laughs> i love that Oh yeah. So yeah, what other of the projects were you and and your students kind of thinking about when you're doing the like the head and shoulders or the the mushroom that's cooler than the air? Were there other fun projects that you didn't get to um I guess dive deep into? Yeah, I mean I I won't do this as a researcher as I said mm-hmm. I don't run a research lab lab mm-hmm. any, anymore. Um so most of my my sort of scholarship really is based upon researching and writing books. So I'm, I'm working on a, on a book now. Oh yeah. Um, that is um, it's about all things fungal medicine. Ooh. And that interests me because there's so much misinformation about medicinal mushrooms. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've, I've written about that in the past, um, but also in terms of our, relationships with with fungi i mean that so the, the human fungus symbiosis we've got fungi on our surface we mentioned or i mentioned we talked about fungi on the scalp earlier mm-hmm. there's also fungi in the human digestive system and our mm-hmm. reproductive tract and so really looking at this and trying to write for a more popular audience about these these you know somewhat esoteric issues is yeah. something that really really interests me Ooh. there's a lot of interest in in using um hallucinogenic mushrooms mm-hmm. or the, the compounds within hallucinogenic mushrooms to treat um ptsd clinical depression anxiety and so so forth um okay that's really interesting but again get 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 getting to the actual truth and, and and the substance of these topics is is surprisingly difficult because there's just so much rubbish that's written mm. about fungi i don't think you know if it, i don't think this occurs in other fields like you know there's not fake news of it in, in entomology you know if you study fruit flies or something right, right. tons of fake news but you, the fake news about fungi that they will save the planet no they won't we've we've created too much of a mess why should they save us they'll they'll be fine after why would they gone. save us that's a good question <laughs> when we're gone and, and sooner or later yeah. they, they, they'll do just just fine um mm-hmm. but it but also fungi as you know cures for cancer and so forth there's you, you can barely get through a day without looking at you know if you look at the online tabloids such that they exist and it's just mm-hmm. The, the, the broadsheets of the the 21st mm. century they're um yeah there's so much rubbish that's written about about fungi and and, and medicine and so that's what i want mm. to that's what i'm doing with this this project oh that's super interesting yeah that book sounds really fun fun to read well, thank you yeah so we're circling okay. back to why you don't like the word funga yeah. So, so, oh dear, this will, this will, I mean, I, I've written a number of articles over the years that have infuriated my colleagues. It's why I, I will, you know, I'm never going to get an award for, for, for anything, but so be it. I'd rather have um, fun in my writing than uh, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd rather be a, the contrarian mycologist than, uh, than otherwise. So funga, funga is a term that that's been put forward 
um, quite recently mm-hmm. to to parallel what the flora and fauna that, mm-hmm. that we need a term to describe the the fungi as a it whole. It just sounds better instead of fungi or does fun- it? To, to me, it's like what the is that? WTF? And then it's just it's it's people are already so profoundly ignorant about fungal biology. Mm-hmm. For no fault of their own, they're, they're, they're busy trying to stay alive, which is understandable. But <laughs> but what, the fungi, that, that's fine. It's difficult enough to get somebody to, somebody to engage with you to talk about mushrooms or or fungi. So, you know, the, 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 the justification for, for for the term funga mm-hmm. is um, <laughs> the justification is that I laugh because it is silly. I got to look. I actually look this up. Um, that there's such an urgent need to conserve fungi mm-hmm. that we need to put them on the, on the table, you know, in, in front of the IUCN and other, other bodies that, that look at, at conservation as if just by having the term fungus suddenly like, wow, I didn't know those exist. Uh, do something okay. to conserve them. Also, how the hell do you can conserve fungi? I mean, we, 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 we're, we, we, we've made such a mess of this planet. I've also written about, about this, if you will, <laughs> refer to my, my book, The Selfish Ape, that's yes. been translated into to many um, um, other languages, foreign I'll languages. I'll have to read that one next. You should read that next, and you mm-hmm. won't sleep after reading it, because it just <laughs> points out that we are doomed, and, and, and I think I've, I've proved that in this book. We're hurtling towards extinction, and, and so... But really, in terms of the best thing that we can do for fungal conservation is not naming the the, the fungi fungi, mm-hmm. but actually leaving the planet ourselves, mm-hmm. becoming extinct, which we will absolutely do. Hopefully, not in in your lifetime, but but we're we're, we're out of here. But yeah. um, fungal conservation. I mean, if if we weren't making such a mess of mess of things, and we weren't cutting down mm. forests as, as, as fast as we can hit them with our chainsaws. I see what you mean. The, the, that would help. I just think it's futile. It's sort of like, um, so I'm not a big fan. Um, he's passed away now, but um, a, a much more eminent biologist than I'll ever be, E.O. Wilson. But E.O. Wilson did, um, did uh, promote a lot of rubbish and said a lot of very silly things. Um, I mean, he made the suggestion that if we could, could we needed to name all the world's species, and that if we mm-hmm. could at least name them, let alone what a species is, yeah, very, that's... very weak. But if we named them, then we'd know what we were losing. I mean, why? Uh... I, I thought, why are we doing this? The only reason to name them would be to put them on a tablet or a website. Yeah, that's and... like a selfish ape situation. Yeah, so that the 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 we are the selfish ape, mm-hmm. and then the the the, the aliens would come. 200 years from now and find the tablets or the, you know, the, 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 the electromagnetic radiation from our websites and say, Oh, look at the mess they made. They managed to actually destroy this number of species rather than, I mean, Uh, significance at all. We know what we're doing. Um, It's, it's, we know exactly what we're doing. I'm actually going to have to look at, look at a piece of paper here rather than, I I love this, this some quote from Gerald Durrell. Okay. I mean, he put this, he was a famous, infamous conservationist, zoologist, very popular long before you were born. But Gerald Durrell wrote this incredible thing. He said, we've declared war on the biological world, the world that supports us. At the moment, the human race is in the position of a man soaring off the tree branch he is sitting on. 
And um, hmm. that, that's that's what we're doing. And so coming up with a name like suddenly this is going to solve humanity's problems or, or actually do yeah, any, anything. It's not, yeah, it's no. Anything. So with all due respect to my, my esteemed colleagues that have written about this, um, I think there's probably better things to do. Yeah, I agree. Changing the name is not going to make yes. it better or solve anything. It's, um, it, it, it's it's fiddling while while Rome burned burns mm. while Rome burns, which actually Nero probably never did actually. But that's another another story. He was uh, a horrible okay. man, but he probably didn't fiddle while Rome burned. He did other things. So I have two questions left that I ask uh, all my guests: How can flora and fungi? Sorry, um, fungi. As a, fungi as a whole influence the future. How can they influence the future? Well, if we, if we destroyed less of them, that probably would help to absorb carbon dioxide. But as I've said, there's too much up there. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, influence the future, the fungi. I mean, these, these, there's a company, a couple of companies that make these, these mushroom burial suits too, that you can be... When you pass away, you can yeah. be buried in these things and they'll promote your decomposition. I kind of like that idea, making like your your last contribution to the carbon cycle in, mm -hmm. you know, in a I like that. somewhat more sustainable way in a mushroom suit. Yes. Sustainable way in the sense of fertilizing the soil too. I, I like that. Hmm. Yeah. That's a good one. And then how can more people get involved with um, fungi? Or not involved, really? Yeah, I mean that's that's true. I mean, how you can get? I mean, get get, get out into the woods. I mean, I think that that's um, still too few of us actually actually do that. Mm -hmm. um, engage in forest bathing? No, just get out into the wood forest bathing. I don't know. <laughs> like all of these words forest that are bathing. just uh, in the. But really, getting out into the woods and. Um, and actually looking at fungi. Mm -hmm. I don't like collecting fungi. I think I've written against that too, but actually getting out into the woods and, and looking at them, looking at the fruit bodies as one would look at orchids, for example, I mm -hmm. think is a, it's a great thing to do. And, and it's, a, it's an enriching experience to just see these, these organisms that are all around us, but they're very easily, easily missed. Yeah. Very easily missed. Awesome. Well, yeah. How can people find you or not find you or what books would you like to plug right now? Um, um, well, I don't know. They can look at my website. So my, my website is I, I bought the domain name themycologist.com some years ago. And there's a lot of information there okay. on, on, on books and articles. And in the unlikely event, somebody wants to contact me, they can, um, can do so through the through that website. Okay, yeah. perfect. Yeah, I, uh, I really enjoyed our chat and I enjoy you as a person, even though you're not a people person, but I kind of relate with you on that. That's why I got into plants. And um, Yeah, well, thank you. I mean, I enjoyed this conversation too. Hopefully it was um, edifying. Yeah, no, I loved it. So thank you for being on Flora Funga Podcast. Great, thank yeah. you. Yeah, have a lovely day. You too, have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Nick. Bye, Bye. for now. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Flora Funga Podcast with Nick Money and how we talk about fungi sex. 
Uh, he is a very interesting man to talk to, so I hope you enjoyed our banter on the history and fungi sex. So you can learn more about him on his website. I think it's called themycologist.com. If you didn't know already, I also have a new Patreon, which will be in the links below. Um, I just uploaded at least 30 different videos of behind-the-scenes footage of my work as a greenhouse supervisor. And, yeah, I actually got complimented yesterday by her. She came up to me and said, wow, you're doing a really good job as a supervisor, so keep it up. And I was like, oh, my God. That is the best compliment I could ever receive. So I even asked her to be on the podcast. So I hope to chat about the history of greenhouse industries and also kind of how they have managed to keep their business going for at least 50 years now. And they want to do 100. So we want to talk about how the greenhouse industry has has went from just like a mom and pop shop to now it's like a huge thing just like really interesting topics that we can cover so I'm interested in talking to her and I actually have proven winners which will be coming on shortly so that's a huge highlight as well um and also Green Goods, which is my dispensary that I actually am a patient at. So I have some really fun uh, topics coming up. I would love to do in-person interviews. I'm actually traveling to Germany this July, and I have an extra week in the middle of July that I don't know what I'm going to be doing at. So if anybody is in Europe and wants me to interview you or take a tour of anything plant or fungi related i am so down because i will be in the area uh, berlin specifically but i am willing to travel to belgium or wherever so all right have a great week my scientists and go learn something new today peaches Tired of feeling drained and lethargic? Wish you could boost your energy levels naturally and stay focused throughout the day with no crash? I've been struggling with this problem too. Thank you to Sovereignty's Purpose for the ultimate energy of the day. Imagine a world where you wake up feeling refreshed, alert, and ready to conquer any challenge that comes your way. With Sovereignty, you live your life with purpose. Whether you're tackling a project, powering through a workout, or simply need a pick-me-up during the day, Purpose is carefully crafted with a powerful combination of amazing ingredients like green coffee bean extract, cordyceps, ashwagandha, bacopa, beet juice, hemp blend, green tea extract, cherry, blueberry, broccoli, kale, and turmeric extract. All of this is only 25 calories and 115 milligrams of caffeine with no jitters and no crashes. Harness this aptogenic blend of benefits in your next smoothie, drink, cocktail, or dessert. Whether you're an entrepreneur, farmer, business professional, or student, Purpose has got your back. No more sluggish afternoons and hello productivity that lasts. Grab your blend with 10% off using the code KK10 on Sovereignty.co. That's S-O-V-E-R-E-I-G-N-T-Y dot C-O and use KK20 for 20% off 
at checkout.